Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast, where we look at the trends impacting mid-sized companies and the influencers behind their success. I'm Katie Mulligan, Associate Editor of Middle Market Growth Magazine, and I'm here with the magazine's Editor-in-Chief, Deborah Cohen. Deb, who's on the podcast this week? Katie, Amit Bori is the subject of the podcast this week. He's the co-founder and CEO of the Global Impact Investing Network. They were in Chicago uh, for a conference, and the conference was entitled Accelerating U.S. Community Impact Investing. It was really interesting. They had um, a range of investors and influencers in the space, everybody from community uh, funds to the MacArthur Foundation uh, to private equity to family offices, and they covered a, a range of topics. It's really a trend that's gaining momentum. And I think it's a great time to have him on the show because we're um, currently working on our May-June issue, which will be themed around impact investing specifically. And I know that one of the things that Amit pointed to was seeing more of this type of activity happening within the middle market. Yes. You know, it's interesting to make mention of the fact that Bain Capital recently uh, launched an impact investing fund. Bain being such a giant in the private equity space and, and one that often sets trends, it'll be interesting to see if smaller funds follow suit and, and develop this type of fund. Absolutely. Well, let's hear from Amit. Here is Deb speaking with Amit Bori. Amit Bori with Global Impact Investing Network. Thanks for joining me on this Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. We're so glad to be able to talk to you. Give us Jin's definition of impact investing. And has the definition changed much in recent years? We define impact investments uh, as investments made into companies, funds, and organizations uh, with the intention of generating a positive social and environmental impact alongside a financial return. Um, And within that definition, there are a couple things I should highlight. Um, One is that intention to achieve impact is really critical. There are a lot of things in the world that may have an impact by coincidence, um, but we are talking about investors who are trying to build impact into their investments and managing to achieving that impact. Okay, so core to the mission. Exactly. Okay. What sectors are covered by impact investing, and what are some of the screens used to determine if an investment truly is having a social impact or just putting on a good public face? Because we know a lot of companies do that these days. Well, one of the most exciting things about impact investing is that this approach um, and you know, this new way of thinking about integrating impact into the investment thesis um, and really trying to um, support companies that are achieving impact while generating positive financial returns is that it can be applied to a number of sectors. Uh, and impact investors have been operating around the world, a variety of sectors including, uh, but not limited to, uh, sustainable agriculture, Mm -hmm. community investing, uh, affordable housing, conservation, uh, renewable energy, provision of basic services like healthcare, uh, education, um, and others uh, to low-income populations. And it's really exciting because um, there are many ways in which this approach to impact can be applied to a variety of sectors Um, And we're just still beginning to um, understand the full potential of impact investing uh, and how it can be integrated across an entire portfolio. And uh, this morning at your conference, I uh, heard a gentleman talking about actually a fund of funds impact investment. So different variations on on a theme. 
That's right. There And there have been a number of fund-to-funds that have been launched, and it's a very interesting vehicle because um, many people who are new to impact uh, will be thinking about a very specific strategy, and they may look uh, you know, for a fund that suits those needs. Uh, so, for example, someone may be very excited about uh, you know, microfinance in emerging mm-hmm. markets. Mm-hmm. Other people, though, will have a much broader view and say that they may want to have um, impact at a level of helping to address climate change or helping to alleviate poverty. And for those types of investors, um, they may be looking at you know, investments across a variety of fund strategies, uh, which may make a fund of funds very attractive um, at, you know, as they enter a yeah. new space. Uh, so it depends on what investors are seeking, but there's um, certainly a lot of different ways that people come at this and a lot of opportunity to build products to engage different types of investors in the market. Yeah. According to a report from uh, your organization in November, private equity now accounts for about 19% of global impact investing, and it was the third largest asset class at the end of 2016. What trends are you seeing for um, the private equity getting into the impact investing space? Well, this is an area that probably gets the most attention uh, when it comes to impact investing. I think people are really excited about the idea of investing in a company that will grow um, and in doing so um, you know, amplify the impact that they're achieving. And so this is a, you know, a way in which many people come to understand the appeal of impact investing. Yeah, and as a result, one of the things that we're seeing is um, you know, interest in private equity all the way down from like a seed stage. Um, you know, all the way through uh, to later stage mm-hmm. in investment. Now, one of the big trends is that in the early days, there's a lot of emphasis on venture. Okay. And there's a lot of a- appeal to venture capital. Uh, when, uh, and um, that's where a lot of the funds were developed for impact investing. One of the things that's very exciting now is that we're actually seeing the, the market start to round out um, so we can um, provide capital to companies at, at um, the various stages of their growth and help meet different types of capital needs along that continuum. Are you seeing middle market uh, focused private equity funds getting involved in in this area at all? And can you give a couple of examples if if so? We have started to see some middle market funds um, that have entered this market. And um, one of the things that I expect is that there will be more of this activity. And part of the reason is that the, um, the nature of how this market's evolving Given that there's such an emphasis on small businesses, um, how to meet their needs through venture, venture capital right. and other types of investment, those businesses are growing. And as they grow, um, we'll see many more kind of you know, impact-driven enterprises needing capital from a different stage of investment. Um, and that's where I think we'll start to see a much greater demand for middle market um, investing. Now, there are a few funds that are out there that are providing mm-hmm. this type of capital. You know, one that I think has gotten a lot of attention in the United States, of course, is when Bain Capital yes. moved to the market with yep. a double impact fund. Uh, and, but they're not alone. But I do think that's a space that will continue to grow and will start, certainly start to attract capital for more institutional investors because the investment size is higher, uh, which means that larger allocators can put more capital to work in the middle market space. So what is the largest asset class? Is it the family office? Is that who are the largest? I mean, we heard earlier today from um, Irene Pritzker's organization, which invests in Ghanaian schools, small schools. That arguably is a family office, right? Is is that the where the bulk of these investors draw from? We're actually seeing capital come from a variety of sources, and that's another trend that um, as the market grows, that it's evolving. 
Um, there is a lot of interest from high net worth individuals. Uh, some of that's from fam- through family offices. Others are investing through private banks. But many private banks are still building out their offering when okay. it comes to impact investing. Um, but we also see other types of investors very active in the market. So uh, institutional investors, you know, insurance companies, pension funds, and others you know, are increasingly becoming active uh, as impact investors. Um, we also see a lot of interest from foundations, though they tend to you know, invest in different mm-hmm. ways um, you know, based on the strategy of the foundation and how they've structurally set up impact investing. You know, some of it invests through the program budget, others invest from the endowment, and some do both. Okay. But one of the other things that we're seeing in the market is, um, you know, increasingly there is a, a move towards um, you know, kind of more investors in, from the institutional space coming into the market. Okay. Yeah, it's a very interesting development. I think is uh, is very promising for the market because they represent larger scale of capital. Right. Um, and um, but I always think that family offices and high net worth individuals play a critical role because mm-hmm. uh, they often push the frontier okay. uh, of new types of investing. And that was the case in, in venture capital, certainly um, been an area mm-hmm. of, kind of driving innovation and impact investing. Um, so one of the things that we you know, really observe from our vantage point at the gin, you know, every different type of investor uh, plays a different role in helping to build this market. Interesting. You mentioned institutional investors, and of course, you know, we all know that the pension funds are representing the pensioners, and those people tend to like to know where their money is going. So talk about LPs and, and how they may be driving uh, benefit to this, to this movement because they, you know, they, wanna, they want more transparency. One of the things that is a, a very powerful trend supporting the growth of impact investing um, is you know, the increasing recognition among long-term investors that it's hard to think about the long-term without thinking about impact. And so if you're thinking about how your investment will perform um, you know, for a worker who's 25 now mm-hmm. and, you know, what they, and what they'll need in 30 to 40 mm-hmm. years from now, um, you have to think about things like how will climate change affect the sustainability of markets, um, how will inequality also affect mm-hmm. the sustainability of performance? Uh, and kind of that universal owner approach really starts to you know, draw in a lot of consideration for impact. Um, one of the things that we're also expecting more of is that as people become aware of the opportunity to align their portfolios with their values, um, we think there'll be more demand from pensioners to see their retirement savings mm-hmm. invest in a way um, that creates a, um, a better world for them to live in. And if you can imagine, um, if we could kind of re-envision what the role of retirement savings were, so it wasn't just about having money to spend when you retire, but it was also about shaping the world that you retire in, uh, you can certainly yeah. imagine that many more um, you know, investors, ordinary pensioners, um, yeah. you know, would be asking pension fund managers to you know, think about how can you know, your investment strategy, you know, my capital, Right. play a role in uh, shaping my community and, and the environment. Can we I, well, just throw a question in terms of how impact investing um, affects communities? Maybe you could give one or two examples just from your own, you know, anecdotally, either here in Chicago or other cities where you've really seen like a project that's had a big impact that was driven by, by impact investing. Well, I think there are so many examples of, of how impact investments are playing a role in shaping communities um, and, and having an impact 
um, on everything from you know, um, populations that are low income uh, to the environment. And I'll right. give you a couple of examples okay. um, from very different parts of the world. Um, one is an example of a company uh, that's based out of California uh, that focuses on catering, um, catering in particular for public schools. Oh, um, okay. And for many low-income um, people, um, you know, then and for you know children um, who are not, not of means, they count on you know, a free or reduced-price lunch. Right. And unfortunately, many of them see that that is um, the the one square meal that they can count on. Per day. Right. Right. Um, and this actually has you know, personal resonance for me because uh, when I was growing up, um, I we my family. Um, spent some time living on welfare. Um, I was raised by a single mom, and while she was getting on her feet, um, we spent six years on welfare as she went through school, and I was getting um, uh, free lunches at a public school. Okay. Um, so Revolution Foods, this company that's based out of California, what they do is they provide healthy foods you know, through the institutional market of being public schools. Uh, and they've raised several rounds of venture funding, and then they've since grown. Um, and uh, many of our members at the gin have invested in Revolution Foods uh, for full disclosure. Um, but okay. um, the reason they were motivated to do so is that they saw this as a way to not only improve the nutrition of children who are low income, um, but also to help shape healthy eating habits that would last for a lifetime for these children. Um, and that com- company has since expanded its operations to many different states and jurisdictions. Um, and it seems like it's having a real impact um, on many um, children uh, and the families and, of course, uh, and their health. Sounds yeah. like a great, great project. Uh, so um, I'll also share another project that's very different, uh, and it, it actually is an example um, of a company that I visited uh, last year um, in, in, in 2017 um, in Kenya. Uh, and we have a number of members who are very active in East Africa, and then Nairobi is a real hotspot for impact investing. Uh, and um, some of our members had pointed us to a company that they had invested in um, that was um, you know, several hours north of the city, um, you know, kind of up in the country. Um, now it, it wasn't actually that far, but because of the infrastructure, it took several hours to get there wow. on kind of a one-lane yeah, road. Yeah. Um, and the company is very fascinating. It's called Inspira Farms. Um, and what they do um, is they actually have a technology um, to create um, new uh, solar-powered refrigeration um, for uh, rural communities. Mm-hmm. And it was servicing a, um, the example of the, the refrigerator that we saw uh, was, um, had, uh, was placed with a dairy cooperative. Uh, okay. So these are just over 100 farmers. Um, you know, they're they're um, not living in, in, um, uh, you know, in, in very kind of stable conditions prior to refrigeration because they were in a position where they had to sell their milk that day. Otherwise they it would spoil get, and exactly. you know, they have to wasted discard. product. Exactly. Right. And so they had no capacity to hold inventory, um, which also meant that if prices were really down one day, they didn't have a choice. Yeah. Um, if middlemen wanted to ex- um, kind of extort them <laughs> and just offer them, lowball them, yeah. um, they didn't have any leverage. And, uh, and so creating just this refrigeration that was accessible to them in a very rural area, um, you know, someone on a motorbike would go around and, yeah. and gather the milk, put it in, uh, in the refrigerator, and then they could actually keep it for several days. That allowed them to have some control over the timing of when they sold oh, it. It's such um, a basic thing, but it gives them more control in the market. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, and one of the things that we, we uh, met with a few farmers, and when I asked a woman who had part of this cooperative, um, you know, what this meant for her, 
uh, the first thing she said was peace of mind. Uh, and then she went yeah. on to list you know, kind of yeah. you know, income stability and many other things, but fundamentally what it meant for her um, it was just knowing that, they, uh, that she would have security uh, for her income and for her family. That's, that's great. That, I mean, you can really see that's very, uh, very tangible. What, what are some of the most significant trends you're seeing across GIN within impact investing? Well, one of the things that's really exciting about this moment in the market is that it is really taking off globally. Um, our membership started uh, when the GIN was founded in 2009. We had just over 20 members. Uh, we were excited to just have those <laughs> 20 members. That, that, that was very successful for us at the time. Uh, and now our global membership is uh, over 250 organizations in 35 countries uh, and growing. And it ranges from investors to NGOs? So is it just like so a... So it's primarily investors of different types. Right. Uh, so everything from large institutional investors uh, to some family offices, uh, foundations, mm-hmm. uh, development finance institutions um, that are you know, investing you know, um, public money into companies in emerging markets. Uh, and then we also have um, some other um, intermediaries and service providers. So we have some law firms, some consulting firms, and others that help facilitate the investment process. And, uh, and of course, many fund managers of different types. Uh, and so it's a, it's a diverse network. Uh, we like that diversity because it brings so many different perspectives to the market. Um, and one of the things that I think is really exciting about this moment uh, for impact investing is that it is really um, starting to capture the attention of many people kind of beyond the usual suspects. Mm. Um, we're, starting, we're seeing a huge spike in interest you know, from mainstream investors. And I think what's catching on is this idea um, that's very powerful of um, you know, the, the possibility of you know, putting your capital to work to have a positive impact on the world. Um, and that opens up so many possibilities and I think really taps into a deep sense of purpose, uh, you know, not just within institutions, but within individuals, um, that we've really seen it kind of you know, um, excite and mobilize a lot of new investors to the market. Community banks are getting involved in this as well, making products available to just everyday investors, not just institutional funds, but you know, individuals, right, that want to put their money to use. That's right, and one of the things that's been available um, to uh, you know, ordinary folks, you know, not just those with family offices right. or who you know, work through private banks, um, is that there are ways in which they can uh, invest their money um, you know, in impact investments. Now, um, some of them are the ways that we think about investing. So think about checkings and savings accounts, you know, very basic products. And then, of course, there are more sophisticated things that are available. Um, but there are banks all around the United States and all around the world um, that use their assets to lend to, you know, to, to businesses that are in lower-income communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them lend to environmental businesses. Uh, and there's actually a global network of these banks uh, called the Global Alliance for Banking on Values. Um, that I believe has around 50 members all around the world. And they have products available to kind of ordinary folks. One year I should emphasize that that as an opportunity for growth for the impact investing market are retail products. Because of a lot of the activities in private equity and other areas which is restricted to um, folks with higher net worth, Mm -hmm. um, there is an opportunity um, that we see emerging of creating products that actually are designed um, both from distribution standpoint and also from a regulatory standpoint uh, to be accessible uh, to retail investors. 
And I think that will unlock a huge opportunity because I think so many people will be passionate about the opportunity yes. to invest in things that help make yeah. their communities better. Yeah, and I think um, it sounds like that's the kind of uh, product that will increase public awareness too. Absolutely. It'll both mobilize capital, it'll increase awareness, and I think it'll also just help change the way that people think about the role of their money. That it's not just about generating more money. Uh, but it can also be an engine for progress around the, um, from the issues that they care about. Well, great. Amit Bori with The Gin, thank you so much for um, joining us on this Middle Market Growth Conversations well, podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. Subscribe to the show in the iTunes store where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. After you've rated the podcast, head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more stories about successful mid-sized companies and trends in middle market M&A.